Hey, brother. Hello, brother. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 8 of Match Wits. I'm your host, Steve, along my, alongside my brother, Chris. Say something. No. So what I've decided in this portion, I'm actually going to hijack the conversation and turn it into a plea for Alamo Drafthouse to buy me a franchise out by my house because I can run the hell out of the thing because of my management experience and I have an appreciation for film so I can actually craft a really interesting event. So Alamo, if you ever listen to this podcast or anybody that works for it, buy me a franchise out in the middle of nowhere and I will make it a mecca for film lovers. Done. All right, moving on. Um, <laughs> if you're new to this podcast, Matchwits is a nostalgia-infused pop culture podcast where Chris blames me for all of his, all the cool shit I turned him on to when he was younger. I don't blame you. I, I just give you the, the appropriate respect. Between you and our cousin Patrick, you guys are responsible for the weirdo that I fucking turned into. So, well, yeah. there you go. All right, so before we get started, we talk a lot about movies and, and TV shows and things like that. So there are... Uh, there are spoilers, but, you know, it, it's, that's what you get. Um, uh, for those that are new, we do a thing called the dimwit tally. Uh, this is where Chris and I make bets on things and see who's right and who's wrong. Uh, last episode, we were even. However, coming out of it, uh, I'm a dollar in the hole to Chris because I was wrong on Yoga Hosers. It's a Kevin hosers. Smith movie. That was I such a dumb it was such a dumb bet. Like, that was what it was, was as soon as you... I, I said it just to see if you would take it, and you're like, yeah, okay. I was like, oh, yeah, I know it's Yoga Hosers. Yeah, I think I even said Yoga Hosers, and I was like, no, is it Yoda? Anyways. The first time, yep. So, one of the things, and when we do these podcasts, one of the things I like to kind of delve into our, our childhood or delve into some nostalgia uh, to get it going, and uh, I was struggling a little bit for, for this week, and we're going to talk about... Um, we're going to talk about some martial arts movies because uh, we like to do top six lists. But we're going to do the top six list even a little bit different this time because uh, I don't know a whole lot about martial arts movies. And uh, so, so but before point, we do, go you ahead. don't know anything about it and you picked it for the topic. Like as soon as you said it, I got all excited because I think that's even the, that's the nerd stuff that even like my close friends really don't know about because it's like my friend Benny and I are the only people that really appreciate martial arts cinema, obviously, because he's Chinese. But um, it, it's one of those things that when I start talking to people about it, they're like, you know way more about martial arts movies than you should. I'm like, yeah, kind of. So yeah. it, was, it surprised me. I got excited, but you were just like, I don't know anything about them. I was like, oh, that's comforting. Well, I mean, and that's part of this podcast too. Is like, well, you know, we'll we'll pick things that are outside of each other's comfort zones a little bit. Um, sure. And I did watch a movie on your recommendation that we'll talk about, but I do want to talk about something. And it's funny. The last, I think it was the last episode, we talked about candy, yep. like the the theater going experience and candy specifically. And I'm like, I'm off sugar, so I've got I'm, I'm having some. I don't know if they're cravings or whatever, but. You know, talking about the whatchamacallit and going to the movies and eating spree. And then going to, the, we went to the movies yesterday. I was really craving some candy. And then last night, I was sitting around and I was like, I really want a bowl of cereal. I want a bowl of like sugary cereal, like a massive bowl, sit down and watch some cartoons. I don't know where that came from, but another like sugar sugar craving thing. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to start off the podcast. Uh, and again, I know this was late minute, but or last minute, but get kick off the podcast talking about, 
you know, there was a whole thing growing up and for me in particular, you know, because you know, I grew up at the time. I think you, you we got cable when when you were kind of starting to watch TV. So I don't know sure. how much you remember of the, you know, the three networks and then Fox being the fourth or PBS. If you classify PBS as a network. Sure. I remember uh, I remember Fox getting its start like that's we talked about this before on the podcast. I remember when it used to come on at like. What was it? Eight o'clock on Sunday, and the first one was the Tracy Ullman show, which what The Simpsons originally was on, and then right after that was Married with Children, because Dad loved Married with Children, and I could get <laughs> away with watching that because it was a little bit more crass humor than you're going to get on Family Ties or any of the other wholesome sitcoms at that time. Because he loved Al Bundy, like that was one of his. Anytime <laughs> you would, you just turn it on, and you're like, okay. And Dad would sit down, and you would watch it with him, and he would. He would defend you if, like, mom came in and was like, "What are you watching?" And then, because it's Al Bundy. So no, I remember, I remember it wasn't on the air, like it wasn't a network, and then it was only on for however many hours for the first year or however long the programming ran. But they only had a limited amount of shows, and it was Tracy Ullman show, and then Married with Children. So I remember that. I remember when networks used to go off the air. Remember when they oh yeah, they would the, go to the test pattern. Well, they would they would play the national anthem, and you would wake yep. up as they were playing like either that or taps or whatever it was, and then it, would, it was it the national would, anthem. They would play, yep. you know, and then it would go, to it would fade out to test pattern, yep. and then it would go snow. Yep, and then go snow. Yeah, I remember that. Like it may have been when I was young, but I remember weird stuff from our childhood, man. Like I can remember stuff pretty far back, which is weird considering the damage I've done to myself. So. <laughs> So with that said, so and it's hard for for our kids to realize that there was that we grew up in a time because we it was like we were we came off the cusp of black and white television and three major networks going to four. Right. And now the kids barely like they don't watch network television. Right. They're a wow. big thing right now with My Hero Academia. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a it's a it's a manga that they've made into a, a animated um, <laughs> TV. <laughs> Brody's four, man. Like he's not into manga yet. Like I might get him, I might get him into it eventually. Like I could turn him on to some anime that I watched growing up. But like I don't press that kind of stuff at four years old. Like he he watches some Marvel stuff with me if we can skip through like the the heavy parts and just get to the fight scenes and stuff. But no, I haven't pushed my my anime agenda on him yet. So. Right, but that's not on network television. Like they watch that on Hulu, right? Sure. And. So they don't really get the whole network thing. And, you know, growing up again, coming off of black and white television, like right at the cusp of cable. And there was a whole bunch of, no, that was all transitioning all around the same time. Um, was, you know, the networks didn't really cater to children. They had to cater to adults, right? So children's programming, really, if you wanted to like binge watch, it was Saturday morning for cartoons, right? You oh, get yeah. up early. The cartoon started at like I think six or six thirty, yep. and you were you had a good solid. They would go to like eleven o'clock in the morning, solid back to back cartoons. And then Saved by the Bell was on at eleven till twelve. I remember that Steve. Like it was, I used to get up and I would watch Bobby's World on USA at like seven, which was Howie Mandel's, and then there was some something on, and then I believe USA Cartoon Express came on at like eight. I want to say, and that was on for. Yeah, but you're, you're on cable. 
Like you're sure. talking USA. See, I'm, I'm talking like I it don't was remember on, like, black and white television, Steve. Like that's that's the age gap, man. Like I don't remember <laughs> that at all. Like I can remember the slider. I remember the the box that we used to have on top of the TV in the US to slide it between the channels. And I remember the first time we actually realized that there was a B channel list that was where that jukebox channel was. Do you remember? Oh right, that? yeah, yeah. You had the two because the slider only went up to like. 40 or 30 channels. He had a, there was a, it had a modal switch. He switched, sure. but do you realize how crazy that sounds to anybody that didn't grow up in that particular time frame? Like, wait, you had a actual analog well, switch between the 26 channels that you could get. Like, yeah, man, like that's the way it was growing up <laughs> so. with our Mitsubishi television. That was like, was a 19 inch. Didn't they get that for their wedding? And then no. they added it for like 15 years. <laughs> no. Oh, no, that was, no, that was the microwave. Been, it, it, no, no. I don't think that was, was the little thing? Litton. No, the little Litton came later. The, the That Mitsubishi TV, dad bought it because it was the top-ranked Consumer Reports television, and it was like the best value top-ranked. So they splurged and got this TV. They like had that TV until tw- like seven years ago. Yeah. Like twenty two like, inch, maybe twenty four. And at some point, I talked to Dad. I said, "You know, I was a, <laughs> as a grown up, I'm like, you still have that TV." He's like, "I know it won't die." He's like, yeah. "I got the best, I got the best TV money could buy, like the best ranked TV from Consumer Reports because of the quality." And it's twenty years later. <laughs> he could like he was kind of hoping it would die so he could get a new TV. Steve, did we ever tell you the story about when he told me he didn't have wireless internet? Oh, it's my, one of my favorite stories. So we were talking to him and Maggie about getting a Amazon Fire Stick. And I was like, look, Dad, I can, like, I, you just plug it in and it walks you through the setup. And then I'll get you the one that has the remote that you can talk into. And all you have to do is say, find me so-and-so on Netflix or find... And he goes, I don't have wireless internet. And I was like, wait a second. I was like, so you mean to tell me that the DVD or Blu-ray player that you're using to get Netflix is plugged, is hardwired into your router? And he said, no. He was like, it's on Wi-Fi. I was like, Dad, what, do you, what do you think Wi-Fi is? He goes, I don't know. It's like different kind of internet. I was like, it stands for wireless internet, Dad. Like, that's the way it works. Like, oh, so I have Wi-Fi. And, he goes, and I said, yeah, why? And he was like, because people have asked me if I have Wi-Fi. And I've told them no for years. And I was like, oh, man. I so, set yeah. it up for him. I, I completely understand that, Steve. I was like, I'm the one that programmed my Netflix thing into his that, that Blu-ray player that he had so he could get on Netflix. And I set him up as the original account. And then he tried to tell me that they didn't have wireless internet, but they had Wi-Fi. So, Dad, if you actually made it to this point in the podcast, I still laugh about that. So, so going back. So, again, this is more relevant to me. So going back to what would have been the late 70s, early 80s, pre-cable, post-black and white television, like first color television, 19-inch Mitsubishi, um, you know, we had three networks to watch cartoons on, and they were Saturday morning. So, But I don't want to get into too far into the cartoons, even though, you know, Captain Caveman seemed to be on all the time. Um, It was, and, and part of it was, Mom and dad worked hard all week. They would kind of sleep in on the weekends a little bit, not too long, but they would be like, go ahead and make yourself some breakfast and go watch TV. And making breakfast was go into the cabinet, get out whatever cereal, pour it in a bowl, and then sit in front and watch cartoons. Or now, toast. 
toast mm-hmm. if they trusted us to use the toaster oven because we had that old that one that had like the flip up thing where the sensor wouldn't work on the door so it would stay on when you open the door and it would turn bright red. Yeah, I have fond memories yeah. of burning my hand on that thing. <laughs> so, but I remember, and I th- you know I remember particularly getting down there before you or Jen and going and 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 like you know it, there's a weird dynamic. For, for breakfast cereal, right? Because you had the stuff that mom wanted or that the parents wanted, right? These are your special K's and your Wheaties and your whatever, non-sugary cereal. And then you had the sugary cereal. So it was always a battle at the grocery store, at the Super Duper, to, like, get the sugary cereal. Super and- Duper. <laughs> oh, talk about a black- Steve, but also, all right, hold on. So... At what at what age did you stop eating cereal and watch morning cartoons? 10, 11, maybe? So, Steve, like, you have to realize when you were doing this, I was either not existing at that point in time because, you know, you're six or whatever it is, or right. I was an infant. So I'm not battling you over cereal or cartoon time. So Oh, but there were battles. You may not remember because, you know, I, I, PTSD. I, I blame Jen. <laughs> I, I blame Jen. So... The, the thing with the cereal was, like, there was the, the sugar cereal. And the list of sugar cereals is insane, right? And and I was trying to explain to the kids, like, back at Super Duper, back in the 80s, late 70s, whatever, the grocery carts were different. The grocery carts were, like, I don't know, 10 inches, 12 inches deep, not the full cart we have today. And you could sit underneath, yeah. right? Remember those? They were, like, these high back. It was weird. I'll have to post a picture if they if I can find one on Twitter. But so you could sit underneath, and when you got to sit underneath, you that, all of the sugar cereals were like eye level, and you could you could grab them and try to put them in the cart, or you would ask mom to get them, and it was a battle at the grocery store. So if we actually got to win and get a sugar cereal, what we were asking for was either based on sugar content or the prize, right? Yeah. I always remember the prizes that came sure. in the cereal. Sure. And so we, the, the brand loyalty would shift from one to the other based on what the prizes were in the in the cereal. So once you got the cereal home, right, I would get up before everybody else. I would go down and and you know if it was if it was sift, Lucky sift Charms, a, yeah, sift through a fresh box and take extra fucking marshmallows, you scumbag. <laughs> well, that's what I was telling the kids. So, so if it was Lucky Charms, it would get up, open the bag. Pick out the marshmallows as yeah. many as you could as fast as you can before you got caught. Like just picking out marshmallows to try to get an entire bowl of marshmallows with none of those little whatever they were, brand X's or what like they were whatever the O's. They were like Cheerios, but not as good. But not, yeah. The ones that didn't have any flavor or sugar or honey awful. honey yeah. nut to them whatsoever. They were basically styrofoam. Circles. Yeah, they were they were filler. I mean, they, and they probably had they were probably the only thing that had nutritional value in the box. Um, but so I would do that. Or yeah. if there was a prize, if there was a prize. Now I don't even remember any of the prizes, but no, <laughs> I don't remember the prizes. But I actually remember. I don't know if it was you or Jen, but I remember walking into the kitchen at one point in time with a full box of cereal dumped on the table, like before <laughs> anybody else. I can't, Steve. I honestly can't remember. And I remember turning the corner and just seeing a pile of cereal, and then the the, the toy being missing. Can't tell you what the toy was, but I remember at at, at our Wayne Street house coming into the back kitchen that opened up to the sun porch and coming around the corner and just seeing a pile of cereal on the table. Nobody else in the room. It could have been empty. You guys could have been long gone by that time because you didn't want to be caught at the scene of the crime. But 
a pile of cereal on the table. And then I remember dad walking in and looking at me and I was like, I had nothing to do with this. <laughs> so I just walked in. So yes, I remember that. So well, I remember one of two approaches. And I think my original approach to get the prize was you pushed on the side of the box to make it semi round. And if you, you had to dump a little bit of the cereal into your bowl, and then you would actually put your arm down the side and try to get into the bottom. But what happened was you could it would completely give you away because the box was now like oblong shaped. It yep. wasn't square anymore. It's concave. Yeah. So then the other option is dump everything into a bowl. Yep. <laughs> get the or prize. The table, and then, apparently, at one point in time. <laughs> dump it back in. So, but that was all, then you would get past that whole ordeal. And I remember, I don't, I have a memory of at some point you and I fighting over a particular prize. Like I'm sure. I had it, you wanted it, whatever. I mean, think about what these prizes were. So I, there was a couple that came to mind. There was, I guess the, the, the go-to, like one of the best ones ever was the baking powder submarine. Yep. Do you remember that? Like you would get this plastic up and down yep. in the water, right? Mm-hmm. And if you weren't smart enough as a kid to pay attention, you put baking soda. Or it was supposed to be baking soda. Whatever. What, what Whatever. And you put the wrong one in, it wouldn't do anything. But it, was, yeah, it would go up and pow- down. In the baking bowl. powder doesn't foam. I believe baking, baking soda does foam. Which I is think you're right. It's yeah, necessary yeah. to thrust it up and down. Steve, I remember, the, the, is it the whistle? The high power, like the the one that had like the, you would blow into like a big circle and it would spin a blade and it would make like a noise really loud i remember fighting over those ones i don't remember if that's a thing <laughs> yeah i don't i don't i remember and and these prizes weren't even like wrapped no, like no. i remember they I'm had just the, floating uh, in the cereal the flying disc what they would call it the flying disc it was like really it's a small frisbee yep. and it would just be stuck in there in the cereal <laughs> like it's, a co- plastic. it's a coaster it's a coaster it's just a exactly. coaster that they tossed into a, a fresh right. bag of cereal I don't even know. Were they in bags at that point in time? <laughs> no, they, ba- the it's bags came later after. Yeah, we could have been eating straight asbestos and some of that <laughs> stuff. Like It could have I'm just sure. been like wood boxes with asbestos lining with just empty, like just loose cereal in it. Like it's the, it's the 80s, man. Like all bets are off f- at that point in time. <laughs> Free range parroting and whatever. Yeah. And like, go ahead and eat whatever. Steve, we and they eventually about, started. To, yeah. Sorry, we were talking about. Aaron asked me if I ever grew up with guns because, like, we don't have any, like, straight up, like, guns for Brody. He has, like, a Nerf gun that has, like, a dart thing and stuff, but that's the only one that actually looks authentic. I remember having a, a cap gun that you could actually pull the bolt. I think it was yours. You could pull the bolt back and it looked like it had an actual bullet in it. And so when you pushed it <laughs> forward, the spring would push it back into the stock and it would disappear and stuff like that. But, like, Good Lord, man. Like, how did we not get mowed down by police? Like, playing out in public, like playing over, we talk about Wilson Middle School that was directly behind our house. Like, I remember taking authentic looking weapons and running around like full bore and like not a, nothing happened. So, the idea of an asbestos lined wood cereal box <laughs> with just loose cereal and it doesn't. Doesn't sound far fetched nope. to me. No, it was. So. And then eventually they started putting it in bags. And then eventually I think they had to start putting them on the outside of the package. The what? So they did so they didn't touch the food. 
Oh, the 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 the, the prizes. They yeah, I think have, they, they, I think they, they, I think they actually started putting them, or at least put them outside the bag, but in the box. In the box, so that yeah, you could just pull the bag out. But that that point in time, you didn't care about. Like once it got to that point of protecting our children, like when I was starting to get a little bit older, and yeah, no, you didn't care about that stuff. No, eventually, they started putting it in like those little vacuum sealed bubbles on the outside of the box and you can just tear that son of a bitch off and <laughs> throw it to the side. <laughs> right. so. so some of the other prizes, so the baking, the baking powder submarine, I remember the, the, these were ones that actually came in the cereal. The, those uh, rubbery coin purses, like you squeeze them and they, you know what I'm talking about? They're like a, kind of like an oval shape. Yeah. I'm <laughs> you, thinking like those and like the, do you remember like they called them wall walkers? They were like the gooey slime that you would throw oh, on the right, wall, yeah, yeah. and it would it would like slip off, and then it would fall and grab itself, and then it would walk down the walls. Like I remember that, and like you could use it once before it fell on the ground and got any dirt in it whatsoever. Oh, and it would end up with hair on it, whatever. Yeah. It would never stick again. Yep, no, ever. Those the um, you would get iron-ons or like stickers or tattoos would come in, and then they would have the ones where you'd have to save up or whatever, or you'd have to cut the thing out, and then you'd have to mail it in to nope. post or. Kellogg or whatever. Um, what was the other General Mills? And you'd have to mail it in and they would send you something back. So, you know, they had, remember the Velcro mitts that came with the, yep. like the, there were sponge mitts that came with the little ball that had the Velcro on it. You little could kind of play. Hmm? We, we have that in our beach bag that we take down the shore when we go down there. Like Brody and I sit in the surf and still play with those exact same things. Like the design hasn't changed. It's basically just a disc with like a Velcro thing you can put over your hand with Velcro on one Yeah, side. but these weren't even discs. These were like, you could get a Count Chocula like mm. mitten. <laughs> it was like, that looked like. I know you're probably going to delve into this, but are you aware of the fact that they're actually making a cinematic universe around Count Chocula and Frankenberry and Boo Berry and Boo Berry? You know, they're making a, like a, a franchise around it, right? Like, I don't I don't actually even know if it's just animated. I think it might be one of those like I'd have to look. And it's just one of those things that I remember when I read it. And I was like, that sounds like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And then. I haven't heard anything about it since, so just so it's going to be a cereal. <laughs> 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 uh, All right. So, okay. do you, what? So I'm going to go through a quick list here of of cereals. This is not a top ten list or whatever, but I forgot about there were so many types of cereals, and then they would use it for marketing. So they would like take the same cereal, like take the T's out of alphabets, and then call it Mr. T cereal, or take the Take the E and the T and make and, and make it chocolate and peanut butter, and then that's ET cereal. Yep. Like they were it's all, all the same purpose. thing. They're either O's yeah. or X's or letters with, and then they will put them in a different box. Sure. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. You have to realize. All right, so my degrees in media studies. So like the whole idea is I look how things work. So the the way that cigarette commercials were marketed towards adults into in the seventies moved directly into what you said about them identifying children's programming into the early eighties, and then the early eighties is when the cigarette ad turned into the cereal ad because that's where the money was. The the production costs were so low on the cereal, and the upsell was so much that if you got these kids hooked on these. Saturday morning and Sunday morning cartoons, 
it immediately directed your profit. So all of those early cartoon, like USA Cartoon Express was, I believe, sponsored by Post or Kellogg. One of them, like, look back at the history of it, and it all ties to how it's marketed. I mean, right. I, it's weird. Like, that's the, but see, that's the problem with my degree. I look at things at such a bizarre angle. So when here, check get, this. Hungry for a big honey taste. Andre the Giant. See, I don't remember this. Honeycomb was always that stupid. Oh no, that's Honey Smacks was the, the stupid uh, frog. So, and then they would always say it was is that part of a complete po- breakfast. <laughs> if, if your complete breakfast includes six cups of sugar, was that pre or post uh, Princess Bride? Oh, that was pre. I'm pretty pre. sure. I mean, that was so honeycomb. We rarely got honeycomb, but honeycomb was like these massive sugar bomb. Like they looked like honeycombs. They had little holes in them, but they were yep. they were they were huge. They were just saturated um, with sugar. See, they, do you remember they were pure sugar. When we used to go over to the Christie's, we were Patrick and Allison's. That they used to before it got discontinued. They were the ones that had cookie crisp, which were basically just. Small fucking cookies that you put in milk. Oh, yeah. No, we had those a couple of times. I, I begged we? mom, and I, I think I used the, the the Patrick defense. I was like, Patrick and Allison have them. Why can't they we just, have them? They were just small cookies. Like that's all they were, and they got discontinued in the eighties for being too sugary. Like you realize what that needed to be done. Like that's like saying <laughs> like a, a music artist had a cocaine problem. Like from somebody from the eighties. Like you can't. It takes a lot for that to get discontinued and for Cookie Crisp to get discontinued completely in the age of Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries and things like that. Like, that is a damning, damning statement. So, so I would put Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries on the top of my, like, if I was going to, if I was going to fall off the wagon with sugar and go out and have some sugary cereal. It would be Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries, knowing that it was going to destroy the roof of my mouth, right? Because that was the thing with Captain Crunch. If you actually had the, the actual Captain Crunch pieces, they were like, I don't know, glass or something because they would just destroy the roof of your mouth. The, the texture and they were so hard, they would kill you. The other, the other thing I want to bring attention to... Give me, give me a smack. Give me a smack and I'll smack you back. Yeah, good. When, when violence was okay. Back in the <laughs> 80s when everything was like, ah, if someone mouths off to you, just slap them in the mouth. <laughs> they, they were actually slapping double fives, but still, nonetheless. And it was a frog and bowling and whatever. So any any one that stood out to you like is your go-to breakfast cereal like sugary breakfast cereal as a kid well it's all right so when i was talking to aaron my wife about this like i i realized that my cereal choice was lame at that point in time like it was like raisin bran i i liked i liked golden grams and i liked honey nut cheerios dude like i 
Captain Crunch used to tear up the top of your mouth. Like Cookie Crisp would just would send me into a rage for two hours, and I was a chill. I was a relatively chill kid. Like people, I I guess. But like, I I I don't remember. Like I, yeah, I was hyperactive at certain points in time, but I didn't like eating massive amounts of sugar when I was a kid. I guess. I, I, the, the fact that Honey Nut Cheerios pops up probably on top three on on my on my mm. cereal list shows how vanilla I was when it came to that kind of stuff when I was a kid. Like when you when you brought this up, I was like, oh my god! Like of all the times I'm going to be identified as a wet noodle, it's one of those <laughs> times where you talk about breakfast cereal. Like really? Like raisin bran? I, like dude, I I have fond memories of grape nuts. <laughs> like taking taking mom's grape nuts and like putting a little bit of milk and microwaving them a little bit and then just yeah. dusting a little bit of brown sugar on the top of it like it's oatmeal. Like I was like a seventy year old in a eight year old. You, were, you were Alex P. Keaton. Like you were Yeah, I dude <laughs> you were the young Republicans club. And then I would go I would go to and I would go to school with mom and she would be, you know, working in the library and I would go to the computer lab and I would learn Sticky Bear Bop and Apple Works at the same time. Like, dude, I was a damaged child from the <laughs> beginning. Like, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to run from it now. Like, it's not one of those things I can right. deny. So, so it's funny. I made, I made because of this whole mom versus kids battle with what cereal to get, right? And sometimes I would win, sometimes mom would win. But in the mom column were all the cereals that you just mentioned. Yep. <laughs> Raisin Bran, like, Special K, Grape Nuts, anything with bran in it. Rice Krispies were even in there, even though they could get a little sugary. The plain sure. Rice Krispies and Wheaties. And then the biggest BS cereal of them all, which was Kicks. Kicks. They're, they're right? all, they're all, it, it's how long they last in milk. Like the Frosted Flakes, all of the ones that are flake based. If you don't eat it immediately, it becomes porridge and it's garbage. <laughs> Mushy. Like, it yeah, it is. So you have to eat it quick. Like Kicks is one of those ones. Captain Crunch, they hold a little bit longer, so you can space out while you're watching cartoons and and still not come back to this sad, damp <laughs> mess of cereal. But all the other but, ones, but like even Golden Grams, that's on my list. Like if you didn't eat that quick, like you probably had two minutes, maybe three minutes before it became right. just just whatever the 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 gelatinous mass of whatever you wanted to eat at that point in time. So yeah, give me honey nut Cheerios that'll hold up a little bit longer. Cracklin' so, oat bran. Oh, that's that was, oh. <laughs> was like eating um, Brillo pads, but it would hold up to the milk. It's mulch. It's what it is. <laughs> You're literally just throwing a chunk of mulch in milk and hoping it breaks down enough that when you get to it, it doesn't hurt your palate. <laughs> right. You would actually have to let it sit in the milk for like ten minutes just to make, to eat it. Just to make it palatable, like right. that's that's a terrible barometer for a for a cereal. But but that that whole kicks that kid tested mother approved where it looked Garbage. like it looked like tricks. It sounded like yeah. tricks, right? Kid You're tested. like, oh, it's, no, it's yeah. just kid tested, BS. Steve. But they yeah. don't see where the kids are throwing the bowl of cereal across the room <laughs> at their mother who approved <laughs> like, it. Like this is sugar? garbage. Yeah, this is garbage. Get your and then you would eat it, and you're like, "This is this is this is the worst." Yeah. And then the the last thing on it though. So what what would happen is, like the days like so we would get cereal, and it would be like, "All right, we'll get it for every box of Cheerios that we could get like a box of Lucky Charms, Alphabets, Super mm -hmm. Golden Crisp, Golden Grams, Captain Crunch, 
sugar smacks, sugar cocoa smacks. crispies, whatever. We would we would get one of those sugary cereals. Then we would eat the sugary cereal, and then we'd be stuck with the Cheerios. So what did we do? We put sugar on it. Yeah. Right? You remember, like, on, on cornflakes, you put the sugar on it, try to make them in the Frosted Flakes. And what would happen is you get to the end, and all you would have was milk and sugar. And sugar. Sugar water, sweet milk is like the worst thing ever. But like crackling oat bran, I can remember like going to the cabinet and be like, literally the only thing we had, like mom's like, yeah, I know I need to go grocery shopping. You pull out crackling oat bran and you would pour enough sugar on that it would look like icebergs that you couldn't even see the dark brown crackling oat bran <laughs> underneath. You're like, nope. And then you would start moving your milk around and you would just see the pile of sugar at the bottom. And you're like, nope, I can't drink the sugary milk. No, pass. All right. I think we, we've covered, and I, I don't have a good segue from Breakfast Surreal into martial arts movies other than well, that's, well, that's I what used to. When you told me these these two topics, I was like, I don't know how this is going to segue. Like, did you no. watch martial arts movies directly after? I watched Hong Kong Fui. Yeah. I, you said that earlier. Like, all right. <laughs> I guess that's a natural bridge or transition. I don't know. This is this isn't a good one, but last night like I had this craving of breakfast cereal, and I was like, "Oh my god, there's nothing more, more about our childhood than breakfast cereal." And and again, I, I remember at some point me holding you down and taking a prize that was in the cereal box out of your sure. hand. I mean, I, 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 I can imagine my face was bright red, my eyes are shrink wrapped in tears, like just <laughs> screaming at the top of my lungs. Seven years, dude. Seven oh. years is like. <laughs> maybe seven or eight inches and 80 pounds like that's just really what it was dude I, I still tell people a story about the first time i came back from college and i had grown to my full size and i was like six foot and i was like 170 pounds and you came at me and one of my friends from college was a wrestler so he was like all right i'm gonna teach you if someone big comes at you you know how to and you came back it was like a Christmas at some point in time. I think you were living in Virginia and I hip tossed you and I got you over on your back like immediately and I jumped on top of you and dad just looked at you and you looked up at him and he goes, that's what you get for fucking with him. <laughs> I don't remember it happening that way, but I, yeah, it was probably, it probably right. Sure. All right. Sure. So abrupt segue, but Hey, that's what this podcast is. It's pop culture. It's whatever. It's random. You know, we talk about crazy stuff. Um, so martial arts movies. And then I realized, so I, I should probably preface all this in, in this whole podcast in the fact that my movie journey and the fact that I, I used to watch a ton of movies up till about 2003. And then my the amount of movies I've seen since 2003 uh, is half or a third or a tenth of what it was beforehand. So you, you mean around the time you had children? Exactly. Yeah, that's, <laughs> dude, that's what happens when you have children. Like my entire movie is just the. It takes me three nights to watch movies now. So when Brody goes to bed, like Aaron and I watch something, and then she goes to bed. So I have about an hour, hour and a half, if I'm feeling froggy about staying up and watching something. So I can usually watch like the first half of something, and then watch either the following night, and then vice versa. So like even the stuff that I talk about isn't really. Some of it's modern, but like a lot of the movies on my list aren't modern. They're from, they're from when I consider them modern, they're still from 5, 10, 12 years ago. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, and, and there's so much content out there now, right? Sure. With Netflix and 
Amazon and there's so like so many movie houses making movies. There's a ton more content than there was years ago, so it's even harder to keep up. So sure. for for this one, I'm going to do a list. I don't know. I'm going to do it in order, and I don't know that I'm actually going to do. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, this I'm going to I'm going to say this is going to be more of a collaborative list because martial arts movies. I know you you have you you've got an extensive <laughs> like mm-hmm. seen all the Jet Li movies, right and or, no, um, all the Jackie Chan movies. Jackie I, Chan movies. I, in I think it was right after I graduated from college in 2003. I went on IMDb and I printed out his entire his entire filmography. He, he's obviously made stuff since then, but I wanted to make sure that I saw all the weird stuff that he even made in back before he was a household name. Like so, he made a movie called Rumble in the Bronx, which kind of made him a household name in. In the States. It, it was his first big commercial hit. They made it actually in Vancouver, but it was supposed to be called like a rumble in Vancouver. But they were like, eh, we're going to make it American. So it was called Rumble in the Bronx, even though you can clearly see the Canadian Rockies in the background of a lot of shots and stuff like that. <laughs> right. But that was my first experience because I think that was, you'd have to look this up to make sure I'm even getting it close. But I want to say like 96, 97. So it was like right around when I was graduating from high school. And so I went and in 2003 or whatever it was, I went and I printed his entire, his entire IMDb and checked out the ones that I knew I had seen and went and searched out everything else I could find. I think YouTube was still relatively new at that point in time, but there was people that were bootlegging movies and stuff on online. So I went and I watched all at that point in time, I think it was 143 credits to what what he had done so i went and watched every jackie chan movie <laughs> nice yeah that was 95 was 95 okay rumble, rumble was 95 yep okay so i was yeah. 16 when that came out but it probably hit home theater or home home video market yeah so i was probably about 17 or 18 yeah, yeah. getting ready to graduate from high school so and the okay. original title was hung fan hung fan cool yeah don't don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't try to pronounce it, dude. It's just, it's not going to work. Like, and it's just, it's, it's called Rumble in the Bronx. And like, even though a lot of the people, a lot of the actors spoke English in it, it was dubbed even the American or even the English and it was dubbed by somebody else. So it, it felt really weird, but I just remember seeing him and being like, oh my God, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. So I went and I found everything that he made. So yeah, it goes back. We, it, I have weird traces all the way back to the beginnings of where I got my start. So, so yeah. So what I, let's, let's go through some of the ones that I would say are not in my list. Again, I have, I feel like there are certain, like there's, it's almost the actor, right? When you, when you talk about martial arts, it's almost the, sure. You know, it, it's like if you, okay, pick up like Jackie Chan is in the top six, right? Without which Jackie doubt. Chan is it? Is it Drunken Master? Is it Rumble in the Bronx? I mean, which? All right, so hold on, Steve. Do you want me to spearhead this because you can't? In order to get the Jackie Chan, like it all falls, it follows a very linear or a, or a linear progression from it. All kind of comes back to Bruce Lee, at least for martial arts cinema in the states it all like if you want to trace it back to where it goes it goes to the shaw brothers and shaw brothers were around since like i think the late 20s to the early 30s maybe when they originally got established but people know them from 
the movies from like the the late sixties to early seventies, which was the all the Shaolin and Wu Tang, which my generation knows from all the samples from Wu Tang Clan. The name itself comes from a Shaw Brothers movie, and Enter the Thirty Six all is samples from. Shaw Brothers movies, which RZA, who is like the spearhead producer, used because he was a huge kung fu fanatic. But you don't get from the Shaw Brothers unless that there's two brothers that let or two guys that left the Shaw Brothers and started a place called Golden Harvest, which is another distribution company, which is the company that produced Enter the Dragon, which was the first big. Um. American blockbuster for an Asian lead because Bruce Lee was American born and didn't have a thick accent and was a little bit at that point in time, nobody wanted to see an, an Asian American as a star. So enter the dragon was like the first one. And then enter the dragon. If you look in the, the stunt coordinator credits was Jackie Chan and Samuel hung, which if you're a super nerd, you would know is kind of like the fat, kung fu guy that you've seen in like walker texas ranger and all those movies and stuff but you wouldn't have jackie chan if it wasn't for bruce lee but the reason you have (laughs) jackie chan is because golden harvest was looking for their next bruce lee after bruce lee died and they made a couple movies with jackie chan trying to be bruce lee with that kind of smoldering intensity and the kind of natural charisma which now we know Jackie Chan as more of a, a physical comedian and one of the greatest stunt stuntmen that ever lived. But the first movie that capitalized on the two of them was Legend of, or I think it was the first one was Drunken Master, and then there was a second one. I think it was called The Legend of Drunken Master, and that's what took Jackie Chan from trying to be a a Bruce Lee clone to being the first Jackie Chan. Do you know what I mean, Steve? Like that's mm-hmm. the, it, it, it capitalized on his physical comedy plus his unbelievable, his unbelievable stunt choreography and, and, and all the moves he was able to do. So it, it pushes in a, a linear progression from Shaw brothers to golden harvest to Bruce Lee, which opens up the American market, which turns into Jackie Chan, which turns into Jet Li, Donnie Yen, so I don't know how you want to do it. <laughs> well, well, first of all, so can you, can you, so but the funny thing is, so I have Enter the Dragon on my list and I have Drunken Master on my list. And really it was, what's the best Bruce Lee movie that should be on the list? And what's the best drunken or the best um, Jackie Chan movie? Sure. Right. And, and I, again, I put Enter the Dragon, Drunken Master seem to be the, the two big ones, but let's go back to Golden Harvest real quick because I pulled up their page in IMDb. Do you know what their top three movies are in terms of popularity? Um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trilogy. That was number one. <laughs> well, no, Steve. Like, yeah, I, I've I've done my research on the Golden Harvest. So it was it was the the Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles. Ninja. Yep. Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon, and there was oh, what's the third one? I wrote it another, down. And another Jackie. Not- another Jackie Chan. Well. Jackie Chan. What was it? I can't find it in my notes. I'm looking. Yep, he was Jackie Chan was in it. Okay. Cannonball Run. 
Cannonball Run. <laughs> That's right. I have it written down somewhere. Like that was that was over there big forays into American cinema. Like that's why Jackie Chan's in Cannibal Run is because it was produced by Golden Harvest, and that's why the Mitsubishi Company, which had Jackie Chan's been sponsored by Mitsubishi since he made like his first movie. So like if you look at any of his movies, you look at Super Cop One and Two or Project A One and Two or Operation Condor or any of those ones, it's always Mitsubishi products in it. So yeah, no. Right. And I remember like. You guys are the ones that introduced me to Cannibal Run. Like I shouldn't shouldn't have known who Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. were <laughs> at like five or six years old, but Don't I remember them. Old. What didn't didn't Dean Martin dress up like didn't they dress up like priests in the first one? Like <laughs> yeah, drunk, Dean Martin drunk, and Sammy Davis Jr. were priests. Drunken womanizing priests that drove like a big Cadillac. Like I shouldn't know that, but uh, I don't think they drove a Cadillac though. I whatever. I'm think not they drove a Ferrari. <laughs> Okay, sure. But I also remember Adrian Barbeau was in that, and she drove a Ferrari. Wasn't it with the one girl that was on uh, uh, Prices Right? She was one of Barker's Beauties? I could uh, be wrong no. on that. I'll, I'll put a dollar bet on that. I don't care. Uh, no, the, the it was not a Barker's Beauty. Oh, okay. Wait, it was hold Adrian on. Barbeau gotta, and gotta, somebody. It was another, like... I thought she was in the era. second one, though. Adrian. No, Adrian Barbeau, Marcy. Yep, you're right. And then who was the other one? Who was the other one that drove the Ferrari? They drove like a no a Lamborghini, purple Lamborghini that matched Adrian Barbeau's jumpsuit. Yeah, all right. I have to look that up. <laughs> you can't see it here looking at IMDb because whoever what? that per well, whoever that person was wasn't as high a billing. As an aside, do you, do you know? All right, so the guy that directed. Um, Enter the Dragon, like Bruce Lee's like big first big blockbuster was a guy named Richard Krauss and Richard or Richard Klaus. The, have you ever heard of a movie called Jim Kata? Which yeah, is oh, yeah, the, the gymnastics and karate, the, yeah, the worst movie ever made. Yeah, that's that's the same, same guy, guy that directed that. And then his last movie that he ever made was a movie called Ironheart with a guy named Bolo Young. Now, you might not recognize the name, but he was Chun-Li in Bloodsport, the big muscle-bound uh, guy that Jean-Claude faces in the finals. That was his, like, big starring vehicle. So, like, the last movie that the guy that directed Enter the Dragon, which is responsible for basically Western Western cinema accepting of martial arts movies, ended up going on to make Jim Kata and then a movie for Chun-Li. So... What are you even looking at at this point? Uh, that was that was Cannonball Run two. It was Barbara Bach and so it was Daisy Duke. Yeah. Okay. And right. Susan Anton were the ones that were in the the jumpsuits and the Lamborghini in the second one. Okay. Who was with Who was with Adrian Barbeau in the first one? I have it's, no idea. It's somebody. It's, it's not Farrah Fawcett, is it? No, no, she was in the ambulance. All right, that'll be a follow up. I don't know why say more time. That's that's gonna be one to track down. You might owe me a dollar though. All right, so if we go back to the list, so I've got Enter the Dragon, Drunken Master. Now this one's on the list, but it's top of mind. But I do want to talk about it because it was I watched the raid at your recommendation, mm-hmm. the raid redemption, which was made in 2011. I watched that last night, and 
I don't know that I've seen a movie that goes like it starts from go. Like it was. <laughs> I told you. Like that was, was. How did I describe it to you, Steve? I was like, it's like the beginning of John Wick, which is about 15 minutes. Like, but this is only about the opening scene establishes what happens to this group of cops. Like that's it. Like it's five minutes to establish the story, and then it's an hour and whatever 40 minutes from there on out of just them trying to survive. And you were like, I don't know if I can watch a movie that does that, but I, I'm curious to actually, because you haven't said anything to me about it, so I, yeah. I need to know your input. I, so the, it was it was weird. I watched, I watched it last night at like midnight, and it was intense. Like it was like, it, it, it was no, like there was none of this build up, build like, you know, you go, they're going to be okay. They're not like, it was, it was, you're on, you're on the like, edge of your seat the whole time because it was just, it was moving fast and it was constantly going from the beginning. And it was, it was good. And I tell you that there was, it, the, the fighting in it was awesome. Yep. Right. Um, I don't know that there was a ton of plot. No, like, there is, like, Steve, it the, isn't a plot. There isn't whatsoever. It's about no. a guy that runs a tenement project and the cops go in to get him. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> but that you see the guy at the beginning, plot. like that, that the little setup when he's doing like crunches and working out in the bag, yeah. like, oh, this guy looks like he's pretty good. And oh, he's got a wife. And then that was it. Yep. And then <laughs> all, all you needed to all you needed to be able to do was to identify with the protagonist. That's it. Yeah, you had, all yeah, you, you had something identify, to fight for identify a little bit of humanity and then put them through hell. Like that's Kurt Vonnegut always said, it was like, make the audience like a character and then put them through the worst (laughs) things you can possibly imagine. And that's what the next hour and a half was. And it was, it was martial arts that I hadn't seen done that way in a long time. And like the behind the scenes story is the, the guy that wrote it and directed it is a guy named Gareth Evans. And he had just been living in Indonesia at that point in time. And, he became a fan of this. I, I I would butcher the name if I tried to say it, but it's a like a martial arts style. Like just kind of mixes a lot of different styles together, and and he wanted to focus on that. And they had a bigger budget movie planned originally, and then the funding got cut, and then they kind of had to retract some of the story and and pare it down. And he was like, "All right, so let's just take it originally. That that is the first act to." If you ever watched The Raid 2, like that was the original movie he wanted to make was the two movies combined together. And if you ever see the second one, if you ever watch The Raid 2, you can understand like the budget for that one clearly has to be a little bit bigger. It has to do with like high rise buildings and, you know, international smugglers and things like that, where this one is literally just you stick them in a small housing project and then you can do whatever you want like it's (laughs) right it's just hallway fight scene after room fight scene after hallway fight scene but it that's what i told you like when you said that to me i was like all right have you seen the raid because that to me is the benchmark to any if you want to call it martial arts movie or if you even want to call action movies in general like that is the benchmark to me of what hand-to-hand combat should look like when presented on a big screen like i don't like the early born movies to me were good because it was it was brief fighting and it was very violent and stuff but then when it started getting shaky cam and you try to try to mask the fact that it wasn't as intricate like those are that's a throwback to the old stuff where it's wide angles of watching these stuntmen 
that have spent weeks, months, years preparing for these fight scenes execute them to a point where you don't need those quick cuts. I want to see, right. I want to see that ballet of violence. And yeah, I mean that the closing scene where the the brothers are fighting that. Mm-hmm. The 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 bad, you know the the main bad guy. I mean that was intense, and that went on. That was a long scene. I mean, if that whole movie, I think the amount of fighting and carnage, like there was no breaks. There was no. no There's nothing. like maybe where he cr- like maybe goes up a flight of stairs where he can like <laughs> lean against the wall for a second. But Steve, you would recognize those guys from the beginning of uh, Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens. Those are the two guys that show up to go after Han on that freighter when they're transporting those weird aliens. You know what I'm talking about? So when Finn and Ray and the, the, the yeah, yeah. when, mm-hmm. when there, there's the snooty British guys that show up in the red armor. And then there's the other guys that show up yeah. that are, that's, that's Udo Quaz and the guy that played mad dog from the raid. And the whole reason that they're in that movie is because the guys, J.J. Abrams saw the raid and was like, those dudes are awesome. We have to give them a role in something. So so w- one other thing on the raid, though, because I think this was the thing where I was like, all right, I, like you capture the essence of the main character. And it was all subtitles, too, which I'm not a big fan of subtitles, but there's not it wasn't a whole dialogue. lot of dialogue. Yeah, there's no dialogue. <laughs> but the, the scene when they're in the wall and the guy puts the machete in. Mm-hmm. And and cuts his cheek and he doesn't move. Like then you go like, all right, this 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 dude's got something, right? He's um he's he's stoic. He's not he's not going to react to this. And it, I saw that. I was like, damn, that was. Yeah. And I, to me, that was a good movie moment. Like that was a strong that was a strong scene. You it's know, a strong it, scene in a movie of strong scenes. Like yeah. there was a lot of moments in those fight scenes. You're like, wow, I haven't seen anything like that. You know what I mean? Like when you saw the Matrix for the first time, and you saw like Wire Fu and to to America or like to to Western audiences, like we didn't see a lot of that. Like unless you were like me and watched all the weird stuff. Like when you saw Bullet Time for the first time, you're like, oh my god, that's awesome. When I saw this for the first time, and I watched a lot of action cinema, when I saw this for the first time, I was like, holy crap! Like that is. <laughs> It is unbelievable what they were able to accomplish and and how captivating it is for being such a simple premise. So that's why I told you to watch it. Like I'm so happy that you're like, oh my god, that's like nothing I've ever seen. That's the whole reason I give. I don't throw recommendations around lightly. I'll I'll preface it. But when you said we're talking about martial arts movies, I said watch this. It's on Netflix right now. Go watch it, and then we can talk about it on there. So. Yeah, that was awesome. And and again, I I really enjoyed it, and it was intense. I mean, it was uh, for for watching it a little bit late at night. It was it was good. Watch, All right, I'm gonna move. Go watch on. this when you get a chance. Watch the second one because it's the same main character. It's Udo Quas from the first one, and he does this. In the second one, it's a little bit it's a little bit more ostentatious. It's the same thing that happens with John wick where it was the first one did well. So the second one had a little bit of a bigger budget. So it gets a little bit ridiculous, but the fight scenes are really good, but they do this fight scene where they're like pressing the back of their fists together, where they're like, they're pushing each other back and forth. And it's all about quick motion. It is one of the more interesting fight scenes I've seen in a long time. And then there's a, there's a shot where they do in this high speed chase where they actually pass the camera through the car 
And the only way they accomplish it, I, I watched it behind the scenes, they strap two of the camera operators to the outside of the car, and the other one on the inside is dressed like the seat. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even joking, Steve. So there's a guy hanging outside holding the camera on one side, and it has to follow. The camera gets passed through the car while they're driving like 45 miles an hour. And the only way they could do it, they can't reach their arms in because of the way their safety harnesses work. So they actually dressed up. One of the guys in like, he's wearing like a leather. He looks like the seat. seat. He's like the seat. (laughs) They took the seat out. So when it passes, there's a split second where he had it, where he could grab it, pass it over to the other guy that was strapped the other side of the moving car (laughs) and he could grab it and then spin it around. It is in the movie itself is impressive. And when you know how they did it, it's even more impressive. So sorry. Okay. All right. So move, moving on. I'm going to play. <laughs> when I think of, I, I mean, so that's The Last Dragon, of course. When I think of. of <laughs> that's know, on my, the VHS collection, man. I, I, is I, it really? I have, I have that one. It's awesome. Yeah. I just, the whole, the whole idea where he was, uh, wasn't he Leroy? Bruce Leroy. Oh, he's Bruce Leroy. That's right. <laughs> Bruce That's right. Leroy. <laughs> it's like, Bruce okay, Leroy. It, and I remember, I remember knowing it so much growing up, and like being such a fan of the little Asian kid that that at the fight scene with her at the disco, he's the one that ends up beating a bunch of people up. He was in a a show called The Electric Knights, where it was the idea of the glow. And he was like a kid that learned how to do it super early. I forget who played like the sensei or the, the master or whoever. And, but Patrick and I were really into that show growing up. And I remember watching that religiously. And then being later in life when I think Buster Rhymes did a video where he was dressed up like Shonuff. And I remember watching it. I was like, holy crap, that's Shonuff from Last Dragon. And they're like, what? It was like Shonuff, the, the Shogun of Harlem. With like 10 people that had never seen Last Dragon before. And so you see Buster Hives dressed in that big red, like, vest, bell-bottom pants with like the, the ponytailed afro and stuff like that. I was like, oh, it's show enough. And they're like, what are you talking about? And then I showed them <laughs> The Last Dragon. They're like, this is the best, worst movie I've ever seen. I was like, yeah, I know, right? The glow. And I, I just remember watching, and because we had it on VHS and it was on, it, it, I don't know, it was, it was good. Uh, yeah. It was good. I, I I don't have Karate Kid on my list, but I have The Last Dragon just because I I, I don't know. I wouldn't I, consider Karate Kid a martial arts movie. Yeah, I don't like the fight scenes in that aren't what could I consider? They're but. not. Yeah, they're not. There's not nothing outside the ring or whatever. No. The only other the only thing about The Last Dragon was I think um, Billy Blanks, the pride the pride of Erie, Pennsylvania, no. the Tybo guy, was originally considered for the role of uh, of Leroy. Oh, that makes sense. But they they felt like that guy uh, was it Tamek? Is it one Tamak? Yeah, Tamak. That he was he was more more innocent, more like a more like a child than Billy Blanks was. All right, so uh, moving up the list, and the, the next two movies I have um, on here. It's been a while since I've seen either of them, um, but the the I, I guess the memories I have of them, and you know, I'll, I'll talk about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon first. I remember seeing that in the theater, and it was one of those. Didn't it win like? Wasn't it up for awards? Like, it was sure. like one of the bigger movies that year. Like from sure. a, 
from a Hollywood got nominated for Best Picture, Best Foreign Foreign Movie. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I got. I, I know it got like production design nominations and stuff like that. But when I when I think of Crouching Tiger, like I think the the lead Chow Young Fat is he's not he's not known for being a martial artist. Like he is trained a martial artist, but when I think of He's not one of the guys that I immediately think of in the same vein of Jackie Chan or Jet Li or Donnie Yen or any of those ones. But I I remember him from a lot of John Woo's original stuff like The Killer and I think there was another one called The Replacement Killers. And then there was uh, there was one that got made into a video game that... I would have to look back, but I don't think of, so when I think of Crouching Tiger, I think of something that, yeah, it was a great movie, but when I want to watch something along those lines, that's in that same kind of operatic fairy tale type things, there's a movie that Jet Li made <clears throat> named Hero. I don't know if you ever saw this one, Steve. It is. I think so. I think we watched yeah. it together, like back in Erie sometime, I thought. Oof. I don't know. That was like, a, I think it came out in 2002, 2003. And Jet Li's character plays a guy that goes like to visit the emperor, and he has to tell these stories to get closer to him. Each one is about him defeating an assassin that was coming to kill the... But each one is told so cinematically. Like the one time they fight in in like an orchard that all of the trees have turned red. So like all of the leaves on the ground are red, but... If you read the behind the scenes of it, the the director didn't like the way the red of the original costumes matched up with the leaves, so they had to make new ones so it matched perfectly, <laughs> and he had to go over to like three different provinces to get enough leaves to fully cover the ground and stuff like that. And it is one of the most beautiful films I've ever actually seen, not even just martial arts movies, so... There's a scene that they do in Hero where they fight on a still lake and there's this whole myth or this whole legend about the way they shot this scene and it's only in order for this lake sequence to the the currents to be dead or to be completely still and the, the top of this lake in China to be like a mirror, it only was like two hours a day from like 10 till noon when the currents had died down and stuff like that. And that's the only way that they could shoot it because the director was such a, like a perfectionist and only Mm -hmm. would do it with like, so they could only shoot this intricate action sequence for two hours a day. So it took them like three weeks to shoot it. And every morning at dawn, they would have to get up and set up this five hours of prep work to shoot for two days. And it, but it works. It's one of the most beautiful. Se- when I think of Crouching Tiger, I think of the sequence when you see Chow Young Fat and Michelle Yao like running across the the treetops in that really pretty wire foo. And right, but you want to see it done to the umpteenth scale and to the point where it's still a, a, a master class in martial arts and cinematography. You should watch Hero. Okay. Not so just you, to you, just to the to the listeners as well. Yeah, yeah. So you would you would put that? Would you put that on there and not Crouching Tiger? Yeah, I would put Hero over Crouching Tiger. Okay. Yeah. And then That's the last I mean. the last one I have on my list, and it's been a while, but I, this is one of those ones, just like the raid that I watched on your recommendation years ago was Ip Man. Yep. And Ip Man Two, and I can't remember which one I watched. I think you told me to watch the second one. Yeah. Or was you can watch which one was the them. which one was the better of the two? 
the it, the first one is the one where he fights the the ten guys in a circle, and it's not one of those ones where like all ten of them are like waiting their turn, and they all kind of and he does that fists of fury move where he punches the one guy like thirty times in ten seconds, where he's like, he's like, <laughs> right. he, a human being shouldn't blur like the way like the flash blurs when he runs, but Donnie's so fast with the way he delivers it. So it's either one of them. The only reason I even actually watched it, man, is because. Benny, who is Chinese, I asked him, I said, so what's your historical relations with the people in your area? And he was like, do you not know about a relationship with the Japanese? I was like, no, why? And he was like, watch it, man. I was like, okay. And I went and watched it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I will, I'll, I'll never, I'll never put that lightly ever again. He was like, yeah, we don't particularly care for each other. There's a lot of, a lot of historical drama between the two nations. I said, oh, okay. And then, you know, the historical significance of it man being the guy that trained Bruce Lee and Bruce Lee is the person who revolutionized, you know, martial arts cinema in the United States. So, like, yeah. Right. So that again, that one was on the list. So if we look at a, a list that uh, consists of it man, hero, last dragon, the raid, drunken master and end of the dragon, we feeling pretty good about that. I'm feeling pretty good about that. There's there's a few other ones that. I, I, Steve, I think you would enjoy if you ever get it. If you ever get a chance to to follow, have you ever heard of a guy named Tony Jaw? Tony Jaw is a, I believe he's Indonesian as well, but he was like a kickboxer and a circus acrobat. I think <laughs> he originally got his he got his work he got his original start working with elephants. So he made a movie called Ong Back, which was one of my. If I was making a top six list, it would be. I would put two of Tony Jaw's movies on there. There's Ong Back, which is the first one I saw him in, which is the first time he really saw uh, kickboxing. And and he does this stunt style called Real Fight, where it's his stunt his stunt guys wear protective... Well, I guess they do it in Donnie Yen and, and Jackie Chan and all those movies. But he really hits the guys like he has, he, he like doubles their insurance premiums or something like that. And they really fight. Like he really punches them in the face. So when they do it slow-mo, it looks super violent, but there was also a movie he did called the protector and the protect. The reason I bring it up is the protector was one of those movies that kind of got lost in the ether for a little bit until Quentin Tarantino saw it and was like, I'm going to pay for distribution in the, you know, in the Western half of the, the globe, just just because it's a great movie and i think and he he does probably i want to say it's a 12 minute long single take fight sequence up this staircase where he like goes into a mall or something where he has to fight this guy that killed his prized elephant and covered it in gold like i said it's weird like you don't watch (laughs) these movies necessarily for the plot but in their culture elephants are extremely sacred and this one particular one he was friends with since he was little and blah 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 so when they they kill it and they turn it into a trophy he snaps like and when i say snap it's not like oh he's just kind of pissed off like he brutally probably beats to death 70 to 80 people in the context of this (laughs) which movie is that it's called the protector oh yeah yeah it, but there's a fight scene in that, which is one of the most amazing single take. Like, this is where it starts getting, this is where I get super nerdy when it comes to, like, film stuff. Like, the technical achievement of being able to time that out and light it properly and make sure all the camera marks hit their spots and all the camera movements. But it is one of those 
mo- one of the most impressive fight scenes I've seen in a long time. So anything with Tony Jaw, I think he was in one of the Fast and Furious movies, maybe six. I don't know. They're on like what twelve now or something. He was seven. Seven. Okay, but he was the guy that fight. He fought Paul Walker in the in the truck, and you can just see that he's way faster than Paul Walker. So, <laughs> right. But, but yeah, I mean, but then he, any old Jackie Chan movies like Super Cop One and Two, which is the first. I think Super Cop Two is the first time you see Michelle Yao, which you saw in Crouching Tiger, and gone on and done a, a lot of other things. So. So I have two two more things I want to go over. I would I wouldn't say call them honorable mentions, but yeah, yeah, we'll call them honorable mentions. Let me go ahead. I got a little bit of audio here. Oh, Vinny. That's the merda. How you doing? Hey, Officer Big Shot, come to bust my balls, huh? Yeah. This here is a detective. Come on, narcotics, not. That's right. Yeah. I want you all to be very nice. Tell this big fucker, Mama Luke, over here anything he wants to know. Oh, Vinny, come over here, Vinny. Listen, we shouldn't talk to you that way. You know why? Because, like, you and I, we don't know each other so good. You still sucking your thumb when your brother was around town sucking dick. This is Steven Seagal. <laughs> turn, 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 but turn that out off. for justice. Shut this, up. That, Mark, even Mark well, for Death is the better of of all of his n- crap n- movies. No, no, no. I'm not. But I'm not. I'm not talking about the whole movie. I'm talking about that one scene. In the bar, where he's the cop, but he's from the same neighborhood and whatever, and he goes in there, and it's the one where he puts the pool ball in the in the uh, in the handkerchief and knocks that guy's teeth out. Like that that one scene, like I think that was the pinnacle of Steven Seagal's career. Like I think that one scene is a pretty legitimate scene. He fights the guy with the sticks. Right with the with the pool sticks. He you know he does hand to hand. It's it. It's insulting. I think, it's insulting the martial arts cinema that you bring up anything Steven Seagal related. <laughs> it is like Steve. I, I'm going to defend that. Like no, no. All right. And so, and I don't sorry. like he. You know he. Uh, everything that's come out about him is not doesn't sound like he's a super cool dude. Um, if you look at back at any of the notes from the movies that he's made yeah. and any of that stuff, but I think if you, and I, I didn't put him on the list and put any of these <laughs> movies on the list, but that one scene. Like there was a moment. There was like a two year period where he made the three word movies. You know, Mark for Death, um, Above the Law, and Out for Justice. That 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 he, like he was at the top of that action genre game and 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 doing the martial arts, and he had this mystique about him. And that one scene, I think, is still pretty pretty rad for a for a movie. Which is the one that had Kelly LeBrock in it? Mark for Death. Mark for Death. That's the one with the Jamaican twins, right? I think so. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the best one. That's the best yeah. movie. I'm not saying all. I'm not saying that uh, <laughs> Alpha Justice was the best one. That was the one with um, Juliana Margulies was in yep. Alpha Justice, and again it was like he kind of had to try to do this Italian accent, which wasn't really great, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyways, there's that, and then the the last one, and I know you will uh, you'll remember this. What you want with my right foot, I can knock out that knife. With my left. I can kick your nose. With this hand, I can poke out your eyes. With this, I can break your neck. Take a good look at my face. I'm an Oriental. <laughs> it's cool, bro. You remember that one? I, no. Is that Kung Fu Hustle? No. 
They call me Bruce. Oh God, no, <laughs> no. I, so I, I vaguely remember that. Is it, everybody confused him for Bruce Lee. Yeah. Tony Hume or whatever his name was. He's like a stand-up comic. So it's not really a martial arts movie, but I thought it would be a good way to, to end it um, in terms of uh, our martial arts episode. Because, well, again, I think my, my 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 take on it and the movies that I've seen scratch the surface, I've seen the more popular ones. Um, you have that full Arsenal background, but it <laughs> seems like we still came to a, a pretty consistent list. But wrapping well, it up with, uh, with John, was it Johnny Hume? Was that his name? I don't know. But no, so what I was talking about where you know more about martial arts cinema history than you actually realize. So Kill Bill, which would be on my list probably just because I'm a, a Tarantino aficionado. But so the guy that played, you, you remember Kill Bill relatively well enough? Do you remember the, the... I've never seen Kill Bill 1 or 2. Okay. Well, then, never mind. So you don't, <laughs> you don't know jack crap about it. But the, So the guy that plays Uma Thurman's sensei, and he plays two characters. He plays Uma Thurman's like super hard-nosed sensei, and then he plays the leader of this gang that she ends up fighting, is the guy from... There's a guy named Gordon Liu from Master Killer, which is a Shaw Brothers movie, which is what all of the Wu-Tang Clan samples came from. All the Shaolin Wu-Tang movies were made by the Shaw Brothers, which brings it all full circle, but you never saw Kill Bill, so... <laughs> it kind of ruins my nice bookend. Yeah, I was going to say, that was, a, that was a nice how attempt there, not, but you remember... Dude, it's so good. Like, how have you not seen it? Like, Uma Thurman wears the, the yellow jumpsuit. That's, like, the, the trademark for that movie, but that jumpsuit is what Bruce Lee war in game of death which was the last movie that he made which i don't know if you remember but that's the one where he fought kareem abdul jabbar mm-hmm. it's the first time you saw kareem abdul jabbar like you saw him as a basketball player you didn't realize that a dude that was 7-1 and 200 and he was only like 60 260 pounds at that but was like a a well-trained martial artist and you mm-hmm. look at bruce bruce lee was like what five six maybe so he's got about <laughs> two and a two yeah. and a half like almost two feet on him and he's but that's all of the stuff comes back to Quentin Tarantino being such a Hong Kong and and martial arts aficionado that all of those references in Kill Bill tie back to the Shaw Brothers which turns around the entire thing that we started talking about but you didn't see it so which all takes it back to, uh, to hip hop and Wu Tang swing and a miss. <laughs> Thanks for ruining hey, my whole bookend. Kill Bill came out in 2003, which was you know when yep. I started to take a step back from, from movies or whatever. You I can't believe it. I haven't seen it. That's one of those ones I'm like, I can't believe I haven't seen Kill Bill. Watch it. Like as soon as you watch it, you're like, man, why did I wait so I, long to I watch? I have so this? many movies. Like I gotta watch it. Um, so, but what when you if slash when you do watch it, Steve, the guy that plays Uma Thurman's sensei and the guy that plays the leader of the gang that she fights in the legendary fight scene of the movie is the guy that's kind of responsible for the Shaw brothers. I mean, the Shaw brothers. What's his name? Gordon Liu. Gordon Liu. It's L I U. And Benny's going to kill me for mispronouncing it, but yeah, he was, he's master killer in enter the 36 enter the 36 was known by different, a bunch of different names, but gotcha. Master killer was considered their best of the martial arts or the Kung Fu movies that they made. And he was the star and he starred in a ton of Shaw brothers stuff. And yeah, I mean, he's going back all the way to 73. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, like he's been in a ton of movies, and Quentin Tarantino knows that because Quentin Tarantino's a student of cinema, mm-hmm. and so that's why he got caught, he got cast in Kill Bill, which when that came out, regenerated his interest in the Shaw Brothers movie. It actually ended up scaling up, you know, the sales of old Shaw Brothers movies and stuff like that. So his nickname is Master Killer. Master Killer. Well, that's wow. the name. Enter the Thirty Six. Master Killer. They're all known by. There, there's a guy in Wu Tang Clan named Master Killer. Oh, got it. But Master Killer is the name of the movie that's considered the Thirty Six Chamber yeah. of Shaolin. Enter the Thirty Six Chambers, which is where Wu Tang got their first album title from. It's called Enter the Thirty Six Chambers, and there's actually two sides of it. There's the Shaolin and the Wu Tang sides. That if it was on a cassette tape, they'd be on opposite sides because they play off each other. Gotcha. Told you, dude. Nerd, nerd stuff. That, 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 that's good. We're gonna we're gonna use that to to outro the uh, the podcast this week. So I think with that we will we will wrap up this episode of Match Wits. Uh, come on, follow us on Twitter. Give us some reviews. Uh, our, our Twitter is at Match Wits. W i t t s. Uh, we've got a website, matchwits.com. And again, go on whatever your podcast preference, uh, podcast player of choice, whether it's iTunes or Google Play or what have you. Go ahead and find us. Give us a rating. Give us a review. We'd love it. Uh, until next time, uh, I think we'll bid you adieu. adieu. Later, brother. See you, brother.